When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We love it. Yeah, publicly. <laughs> put on a face. We love it publicly. Turn it up. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the very special edition of the DMBR Nuggets yes. podcast. There's the air horn for you. Presented as always by Jackson Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. Look who I got. The fellas with me, Harrison Wynn. I'm wondering if we're going to make our special guest do an air horn. that's right. That's right. You know what? I'll let him off the hook this one time. Over there, wearing a flowered shirt for like the third day in a row. Must truly be spring. It's 80 degrees, fellas. Um, Calvin, one time our tourist met me at training camp and he said, Okay, so you just wear the flower shirts every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's your thing. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's how I look. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah a little Magnum PI look. And then, of course, Brendan just introduced him, the general manager of the Denver Nuggets, Calvin Booth. Calvin, thanks for stopping by. Oh, no problem, man. My pleasure. Excited to have you in here, man. Um, and I want to start. We got a lot of stuff we're going to go over today. I'm excited for this because we're going to talk a lot about the players that you brought in or your regime brought in over the last year. But I want to stop with a little bit of backstory because I feel like even I don't have that much backstory about you. So we have a segment called Calibration. A little pun. You like our little puns? We We even made a little graphic for it. We got a little calibration right here uh, where we're going to ask you some basic questions just to kind of get to know you a little bit. What is going on in the background of that? It's a calibrate. It's a TV calibrating. Oh, TV. It's a TV. Um, Haven't seen that in 25 years. (laughs) Who was your basketball idol growing up? My basketball idol, everybody loved Michael Jordan, but more personal, like I, I was like, I, I wasn't sure how tall I was going to be. So I had two outs, David Robinson or Reggie Miller. <laughs> well, those were our two guys. The left-handed shot blocker and the shooting. I always thought I could shoot a little bit. So, you know, those are those are two guys I like. Uh, well, did you have a late growth spurt? Were you like not? Uh, I mean, I always grew like a few inches every year. I was always above average, but like, you know, eighth grade, like 5'11", eighth grade, 6'3". Grade? Ten six six, junior six nine. <laughs> Casual. But my but my uh my my dad was like six seven, so I knew it would probably be tall. So I was six eleven my senior year. Okay, there you go. It's, out here in Colorado, there's like two or three seven footers. I feel every year in Ohio. I mean, Ohio has some good hoops. I mean, is it? Were you always the tallest one, or were there always a lot of I other mean, guys? I mean, I feel like, you know, back then people didn't hold kids back as much. So now mm-hmm. there's like. More and more tall kids than there were, and there's some more kids dunking in eighth grade. Like I, I played in suburban Columbus, and I, and I remember one time uh, we were watching Warren Southern, and then somebody touched the rim in like eighth grade, and we thought it was like the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. Like that's now, what it was like playing yeah. in uh, Boulder, Colorado. That was my experience. But I'll, I'll tell you, in Minnesota, you know that's the diametric opposite of Colorado. They have, if you look at their high school rankings, their seniors, they have, I don't know, 40, 50 kids, six, six or really? over. You know, you look at the Colorado high school rank, it's like four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not much. I guess Minnesota, because they have like tall, I don't know, like a tall Germans population. Tall yeah, Norwegian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tall population. You see a yeah. bunch of, you know, kids that are six, seven. They yeah. might not even play basketball. Right, know? right. Yeah, it is a tall place. So, Michael Jordan, because you were drafted by Michael Jordan, right? Was he with the Wizards? Yeah, at the well, time? he came in in the middle of the year. Like, oh, okay. Uh, uh, Wes Unsell Sr., uh, rest in peace, was uh, the general manager that drafted me. And, uh, you know, Tim Conley was in the video room, and <laughs> Wes Unsell Jr. was. At that time, games. he was? Yeah, 1999. He must have been still, like, interning or something. This yeah, is I like, mean, I think it was his, maybe his first, very first year. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that maybe sounds, maybe that did, sounds right. Maybe he did some stuff a little bit the year before. No, that like, sounds, yeah, that's the right yeah. time that's frame. Yeah. yeah, so then uh, Michael Jordan came in. And bought ownership stake in the team in the middle of that year. And, uh, you know, I, I was there for another year from that point, And then I got traded to Dallas. Yeah. Huh. So is there any good Jordan stories? Like, when you were with the Wizards, did he ever come down? Was he, like... Yeah, I mean, he came down. He started to practice a lot. And, like, uh, to see the kind of shape that he got in in the next couple of years. Because at the time he was playing with us, he, 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 didn't, he never envisioned coming back and playing NBA basketball. So, like, yeah, we're practicing. He, we're getting to be teammates or play against Michael Jordan, which was pretty cool, you know, like, and 
even though he wasn't in the, the greatest shape or the kind of shape he got into a couple of years later when he came back, right. he was still like doing his thing in practice and post people up and shoot turnarounds. And uh, he was Michael Jordan. Did he ever Michael try Jordan. to beat you up? I mean, not, not literally, but I'm saying, did he ever did try he to like try to break Steve, you, you? Steve know? Kerr you? Yeah. No, no. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the other rookies were Richard Hamilton and LeBron yeah. Prophet. And I think LeBron Prophet was a good, like, uh, pace for that he liked to kind of engage mike and <laughs> yeah and like play him one-on-one and do that kind of stuff so he ended up taking the brunt of it uh, i gotta say the chat you can see it on the right there is just everybody is like thank you for uh building this roster <laughs> people are very, very there's very just very a, a ton of thanks coming in on the on the <laughs> we'll, chat we'll, right we'll get there. to the roster here i like going back to these old old stories though who was your favorite nba team nba team was it Cavs? no the bulls bulls okay yeah, yeah i think most people don't they people don't realize this we're getting far enough away from michael jordan now that I do think this next generation doesn't quite. And he's almost like Wilt Chamberlain was yeah, to me, yeah, you know, yeah, where it's yeah, just yeah. a story. But the 90s really was, you were either a Jordan fan or a Jordan hater, but it was, that yeah. was the number one. Yeah, Jordan was number one. I loved those Phil Jackson, Bulls, Scottie Pippen teams. But there were two versions. The one, first one had yeah. Horace Grant and uh, B.J. Armstrong and Jim Paxson. The second version had, uh, you know, Dennis Rodman and Kerr and, Ron Harper, you know, yeah. but I like both versions of those teams. What was what's your favorite memory as a player through your tenure? Is it a ten or eleven year career? Ten or eleven year career, favorite memory. I probably have to say, yeah, you know, getting that ball from Finn in, in uh, Utah and mm -hmm. um, laying the ball in and winning that game. It was an exciting time. I mean, Cuban had just bought the team a couple years earlier. Mm -hmm. Everybody, I'd I'd seen both sides of it. Like we would come in and. You know, be food in our locker room, and it'd be all these amenities nobody had ever seen the NBA before. And then getting <laughs> traded there, um, you know, was a cool experience. Cuban was very involved, and mm. you know, wanted to see the team do well. And it was a fun team. Steve Nash was just starting to break out. Finley was uh, also part of that big three, and and uh, Dirk. That was the first year I think Dirk made got any uh, any kind of recognition league wide. He made an All NBA team, even though he didn't make All Star team. Mm. Yeah. I want to get to that. Can we we actually have the clip? I want to because some people might not realize when he's talking about the game winner. This was a crucial series winner. This is a big time game winner. Play the clip real quick here. And this, might be, by one. and this might be the biggest possession of the night. Right here. Just Finley with the ball. Ten seconds left. Getting the go-ahead field goal. He has six rebounds. The, the only clip, by the way, we could find of this one. But here's what I love. Chance to win it here or go home. Here's what I love about this play. So first of all, that's a series winner. Series over, game five. But here's what's crazy about that one. Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, and Stockton Malone. You're talking about the best point guard, power forward of the previous era. And this is sort of a, like, nope. Almost handing it off to the best point guard, power forward of that era, at least, or at least right there with Tim Duncan. I feel like that's an underrated moment. Kind of 2001, those, that, that specific matchup. What do you recall about that? And do you kind of see it that way, even if at the time it wasn't billed that way? Well, even if I don't see it that way, I know Nelly Jr. and, and now Don, Don Nelson is now in Maui. I don't see as much in Cuban. Every time I see those guys, like, oh, the shot hurt around the world. <laughs> this and that. Like, obviously, Dirk and did the, the heavy lifting over the next two decades after that. And Steve right. Nash and Finley were instrumental in building that, that thing to the point where they were able to win a championship. But uh, I think Cube looks at it as like a seminal moment and like, you know, the first time he sees a breakthrough after this large investment and putting all this intention into like building this brand new program up that's going to be different than every other team in the NBA. Right. And he was kind of the first of that mold of new owners. It's almost like he was the first of the new generation of owners. Now we have a whole new one. I feel like all the owners of the last five years are younger than me. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's like a really young, but, but Cuban was the first of that mold. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah he definitely was. Kind of a cool one. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think about Denver, Colorado? Just now that you've been out here for a couple of years. No, it's a really cool city. Uh, it's underrated that you didn't know that the sun was out all the time. Yes. It's, um, 300 you know, days. You, you can go to the outdoors say. pretty quickly. <laughs> There's a lot to do in town. Fans are great. Uh, now I've been pleasantly surprised. I, I think it passed Seattle up on my list. At one point, I liked Seattle because I played there and lived right. there. But like, mm. you know, I think Denver is a, a nicer metropolitan area. Where, where is it on your list now? Oh, you're putting, Seattle? You're putting him deep yeah. on the spot. No, what, what's top of your list? Top of my list? Dallas. I mean, those teams are near the, the top. I like Dallas, yeah. living in Dallas. I liked uh, 
I didn't mind living in Minneapolis. I think Denver's nicer. Yeah. Um, I, I like I DC, agree. living there. So there's a, I mean, there's so many beautiful cities around around the country. Now. All right, we'll, we'll take that. What, what was the popular uh, NBA city to visit? Like these days, you hear a lot about Atlanta. I mean, was Miami, it still, Atlanta. Miami, yeah. Is it still like that then, or was it? Um, I think there's just general where there's a lot to do and there's nightlife. I think the, the, the usuals like LA, Miami, New York. I mean, I think Toronto surprisingly is up there for really? some guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's always the winner though. I think this is the thing. Yeah. This is D line's theory. I'm stealing it from him. But if the NBA was a summer league, a summer sport, Colorado would get more free agents because it's nice yeah, in the summertime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you come here in January and you're only here for two nights, you might be like, yeah, it's kind of cold here. Yeah, for I think sure. that's the problem. Do you have any hobbies outside of basketball? Yeah, I think um, you know, obviously watching a lot of basketball, but I read, I read a good amount, listen to audiobooks, and watch a lot of TV when I'm not watching games. So what kind of stuff? Like fiction? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, not I like a lot of nonfiction, but recently been into the last season of Succession. Of oh, <laughs> great yeah. answer. We for can this do a show. whole other yeah, show. Should we just that. turn this into a Succession yeah. podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else? Are there any other shows that you want to throw out? I like Snowfall. Those are okay. probably two I'm into right now. Yeah. All right, gotcha. Um, let's talk about your path to Denver here and really your path to being in the front office. As a player, was this something that was on your radar? Like, when did it, when did it enter your mind? Like, hey, I want to do the front office thing when I'm done. Yeah, probably, I would say like uh, 2007, eight was the year I really got into it. Because, I mean, people don't realize, like, I think the ebb and flow of an NBA player, you come out of college, most of us do at least, and then the first year, because you still know the college guys, you watch them and you watch the teams. And then as your career takes off and you have to work more and you play more games, you start to watch more NBA games, mm. you lose touch with college basketball, maybe the tournament or whatever. So, like, the 2007-8 season was the year I really like, you know what, let me watch a bunch of games this year and, you know, um, watch prospects and see what I think about them and – I ended up doing scouting reports and all that kind of stuff. That as I kept a for player? Myself. Yeah, as a player, yeah. And uh, it was my second time around in, in Washington, and, and uh, Tim was still there, and he was uh, he played a, a prominent role in, like, helping me, you know, get introduced into the, the executive side of things, you know. Like, at the end of that season, you know, he, he suggested that I, you know, come out and I think that year they did Chicago and Orlando, which was weird. And they moved about to Chicago after that. But I went out there. Mm -hmm. Then I went to Treviso um, upon his advice and, and uh, you know, got to see, like, a great, great draft class. I wondered if I would have been as interested if, you know, the draft class was different. Like, the international class was, like, Serge Ibaka, Nicholas Batum, mm. Goran Dragic. And the draft was, like, Beasley and Derrick Rose mm. and Westbrook and Kevin Love. So – like one of the better drafts of the, the last two decades, I would say. You know? Right. And did you, you ever think about coaching? No, nah, I mean, coaching never really interested me. I did. When I retired, I worked with Clib and, and did some independent scouting with Clib Hoops. But more importantly, I started, yeah, more importantly, Clib. <laughs> <laughs> I started an AAU program and, uh, and I built it up and I coached that and ran that. And so I felt what was like. It? Gotcha. Which one? It's uh, called Nova Village, it's in uh, Ohio. Now ran by uh, Andreas James, who you know I work with closely with it. But like I stay, I stay, I watch it, I watch it closely, and it, it's kind of cool to see that like Portsmouth is coming up, and even though I don't know these kids personally, I know they came up through the program I had, like That's Tavion cool. Kenzie from Marshall, JT Shoemate from Toledo, and there's another, there's one other kid. I mean Jerome Hunter's at Xavier. I don't think he's coming out, but there's. One other kid, oh, Caleb McConnell, he played for the team, the kid from Rutgers. So to see these kids that, like, had a jersey on that, you know, I created the brand and right. the name and That's worked really for cool. it, it's pretty cool, you know. Nicola's doing something similar right now with, mm. with KK Joker. I mean, do you kind of see a little bit of yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. I think a lot. I think a lot of guys end up wanting to give back and they have a vision of how they want to see things done. And um, I think it's, it's fulfilling and it's, uh, you know, we definitely have the knowledge base for it, right? How much of this do you think? Well, yes, but some GMs, you know, or some players have turned to GMs and, and been pretty bad at it. I think it's like non-players. It's kind of a mixed bag about yeah, who, yeah. who's going to succeed. I want to ask a little bit about that. But I wonder, 
I'm just trying to get into the psychology of this. I wonder how much when you're in the NBA, you're out of control about where you go a lot of things and who's your coach and how, th- how you play, who are your teammates. And I wonder if some of this comes from that. You're like, hey, what if I could control everything? And I'm going to make, you just said the branding. I'm guessing you came up with the identity. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I wonder if there is a draw to be like, all right, I've been in this. What would it look like if I got to do to make all the big decisions? Well, yeah, I mean, basically that's actually at the root of it. You know, I remember leaving Treviso and like, my last year in the NBA, I started out with Minnesota, got traded to Sacramento, didn't log very many minutes that, that year. And, you know, it was different then. Like, you know, like I, I'm like seeing that I'm, re- I'm reading between the lines. Like you're in two of the worst teams at the time. Congratulations for Sacramento for making it back to the playoffs this yeah, year. But right. two of the worst teams at the time. And I'm like, I wasn't getting that much time. So I think this is about coming to an end. So I'd already been doing the scouting and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So... Um, I think that uh, when I finished with Treviso, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm not going to beg anybody for a job. You know, these jobs are so hard to come by. What can I do? I have all these ideas about the game and, you know, how I see it played. Like, why don't I just go ahead and, and do something on my own and see how yeah. that works out, you know? And, and AAU is like the first entry point to that? Or? Well, I mean, yeah, it's building a club up. And I did a lot of stuff. I went over to Ireland and, and you know, worked with, with some kids over there and did, oh, wow. did like a – did like a lot of stuff and you know it was an easy entry point as you said like it's not going to spain it's not going to serbia like the people that love basketball in ireland they love it but like it's like the fourth or fifth most popular sport right right so um i did that and i felt like uh it provided a platform to to like you know get my ideas out and and like put a team together and practice them and try to like develop them a different way and so you know it was it, it was a my own Lab, right. sense, yeah. you know. At this, that at that point, does this concept of you know philosophy and how you want to go about building a team or what a team should look like, like how defined is that in your mind? Are you still sort of still discovering that for yourself? Oh yeah, no, I think um, it definitely was written out, and um, I had some concrete ideas about it. But I liken it to like it, I, I think about this in scouting too. Like you take a really good player, like Joker, even. And, um, you know, even though he's playing great his first couple of years, how much he polishes it and changes it and what it looks like seven years later is completely different than what it looked like in year one. So, right. right. Um, so in that sense, I think it's more advanced and polished and all that. But, it, you know, a lot of the – it's along the same continuum, along the same line, you know. Mm. I love that you called it a lab because that's what it sounds like. I mean, it sounds like you you're, you know get into a lab and kind of create these philosophies and test out theories and say, how does this work? I know that from our experience, honestly, here at DNVR, you have an idea for what you want coverage to be, but when you actually go and do it, most of the job is stuff you weren't thinking about. You're like just trying to make it work. So I imagine <laughs> there's a similarity there. Let's let's take a break though. I want to keep pulling on this thread though, and and in the next segment, there's a couple things that I think might have prepared you for this job playing for a lot of coaches, playing with a couple Hall of Famers, playing in a transitional era era of the NBA. I want to ask you about all those on the other side. Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer DNVR. Uh, Check out the Mile High City Golden Ale from Breck Brew. If you don't know where to get it, check out the Breck Brew Beer Locator on their website. That will tell you where to get Breck Brew closest to you. Um, It is nugget season, so make sure you're drinking the Mile High City Golden Ale, the Avalanche Amber. They got seltzers as well. Uh, Breck Brew's got everything for every occasion. Uh, Breck Brew, the official beer of DNVR. Yeah. Uh, also, check out our friends at Ivy Nutrition. They're located off Wash Park. You have to go to the Wash Park location corner of Alameda and Downing. Anyone who mentions DNVR when they drop by that location of Ivy Nutrition gets 50% off their first IV nutritional drip. So give them a call, 720-259-4404. We all went down there as a group a few weeks back, got hooked up with IV drips. They take care of you when they're down there. Super professional. Uh, They also do a lot of other stuff too. Wellness, blood testing, and consultations. They got an express lunch break drip. They got hydration drips, mega multivitamin, uh, balanced brain, headache haven, just tons of different options that you can do to improve your health. So uh, give them a call, 720-259-4404. Corner of Wash, corner Alameda and Downing, their Wash Park location, Ivy Nutrition. 
All right, back here, segment two. We're with Calvin Booth, Denver Nuggets general manager. We're going to get to some Nuggets stuff here in just a second, but I want to continue on this philosophy and, and some of the building of you as a general manager. So you played with Dirk Nowitzki, Gary Payton, Ray Allen, Gilbert Arenas. That's four very different players. I'm going to imagine different leaders. How much do you think playing in those different – you were also a bit of a journeyman going to a bunch of different places. Mm. How much do you think the different coaches, different players, different experiences – you know, contributed to like, hey, I have a wide education on how the NBA operates. Yeah, I, I definitely think it contributed. You see the common themes, though. Like all those guys are, you know, maniacal workers. Um, and they're, they're always in the gym. They're always getting shots up. And they, they take the craft very seriously. Um, you know, they do it in different ways. But like seeing general themes and seeing and like uh, being down in the locker room and knowing how, you know, an NBA player thinks at time, I think helped contribute to me having success at this job. So it was more about the diverse experiences, but you find the common traits, and it's like yeah. that's clearly the successes, yeah. the commonalities there. That's an interesting one. Um, and then I want to ask you about setting up a front office because, again, when I when was preparing for this, I was thinking a lot about DNVR and just the different challenges we face. The more I do this, the more I realize it's about systems as much as it is about ideas. You have an idea, that's great, but how do you make it work? So now you have a basketball philosophy but getting that to operate is half the battle, I imagine. How do you feel an operate uh, a front office should be set up, and what is sort of the goal for yours, and how you want your front office to operate? Yeah, I think uh, one thing for, that I can control is uh, be clear and consistent with my messaging um, internally and externally, and I, I really try to focus on that. And like, um, I felt like this is my third time building a brand. Mm. You know, as a brand, as a player, you have to build a brand. Who are you? When mm. the coach looks down the bench, he has to know why he's putting you in the game, right? Um, then I, the second time was with my AU club, Nova Village, building a program, building a brand, trying to create identity and making decisions along those lines. So a lot of times I would joke with our guys, um, you know, we get into vigorous conversations like, hey, look, you know, I'm Trying to be in and out, trying to do the best burgers and fries. I don't want to do chicken right. fingers the first week. <laughs> right. You know? right, right, right. Like, yeah. let's let's do the burgers and fries good. Right. You know, so like having uh, constructs and you know, like you said, systems that that help that you can standardize and uh, anybody can understand and comprehend and help replicate. I think that's uh, a big part of having success or sustained success, at least. What do you look for in people that you want to bring into your front office? Like, what yeah. what types of people do you look to? To bring into the, the organization. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys have prior relationships, right? So I think the combination of best case scenario, you've worked with somebody or know somebody and you have a vision for the job that they can do well, mm -hmm. right? Like, in a, and if they can't do it well, you got to find somebody, you know, maybe that you know, somebody knows somebody or look at resumes or do whatever. But like, it's very important for me to put people in positions where they can have success. Right. You know, um, and like, and, and to compliment your strengths, you know, like, uh, you know, we have Drew Nicholas as our director of scouting who I worked with in, in um, Minnesota. And, and Drew's has extensive playing experience, great demeanor. Um, he's played for some legendary coaches in Gary Williams and Sasha Brodovich. Um, he's cool customer, but a great eye for talent. Um, I think he's a natural leader and manager, and I, I knew he would do well in the role he's in right now. And he's he's adjusted accordingly, and he's been around some good teams. Um, after Minnesota, he went to Philadelphia and worked with those guys, and then he went to Boston. So was, he was with the team that went to the finals last year. So I do feel like there is something to be said about having people. I mean, he in his case, he won a national championship at Maryland, had a lot of a lot of success in uh, overseas and winning. Him on the Panthinaikos team, I believe, in yeah. Greece, had one of the best mm -hmm. teams ever. You know, Batiste, Pekovic, uh, you know, a number of other guys that had storied careers over there. Sponulis, I believe. Uh, so, like, I, I think that that whole package with him and, you know, knowing, knowing that he was somebody who was going to be able to be a natural fit for what I wanted. And I talked basketball with him before he kind of understood where I was coming from. That was important, getting a guy like a Todd Chekovic who – who played basketball at Colgate and had a law degree from Villanova and I work with him in Minnesota and he has a great eye for talent. And I mean, without him, you know, I'm not able to implement the the scouting apparatus and structure that we want. Like he's very meticulous and, and detailed and 
he does a great job at like administering the program and keeping it carried on. Like left to me or somebody like me, it fall by the wayside. I'm a big idea guy. I'm not an everyday <laughs> right. guy. Right. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, then we bring uh, some of the interns that we've had, like Nihal, who the NBA provided from uh, their start, Rising Stars program. He's been great. And Neil Hanta was in the G League last year. We got to know him a little bit. Having a guy like a Mike Pemberthy, who has extensive experience as a player and on the bench and worked with a lot of great players as a shooting coach right. like, and has a great – all-around basketball mind, like I felt like, I mean, you bring all these people together, hire Darrell Arthur, who's one, Mike is one. Like, yeah. I, I went to Penn State, I was on some good teams in the NBA, I haven't won anything. So, you know, I you feel and, like- uh, You and Nicola. Yeah, so I feel like it's that, important yeah. to have people that have won. That's yeah. why you draft a Christian Brown, who's won a championship. That's why you have a Colin Gillespie. Like, if you want to win, you have to have people that have done it, and you have to study how it's done, and maybe try to replicate how they did it, you know? So I'm big into believing that. I love I, that. I like it. And I I mean, that's one thing I've gotten to know about you. You are an ideas guy. You have, like, ideas for or concepts, and then you, you know, apply those to different things. And so that was, as we moved to Christian Brown, I wanted to ask about this, because you've mentioned it in pressers multiple times. He's a champion. Just how important, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that because it was something that was maybe missing, you want to bring it in. Or do you feel like, no, it actually really tells you something about a player when they were on a team that accomplished a goal? Yeah, I think it's a, a important part of my, evolu in my evolution as a scout was coming from Minnesota to Denver. And no knock on Minnesota. We were trying to get together, and we were in a rebuild. And right. We had Zach Levine and Wiggins and those guys. But coming to a team and seeing the guys like Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray – and, you know, seeing how Tim and, and Coach Malone approached it. But, like, you know, you start to see, like, when we start to have more success, what those guys look like, what those players are like, you know. Um, you get to see what Nicola and even Jamal to a lesser extent that talent, as people perceive it, comes in all different shapes and sizes. It's not like what, you know, people classically think of talent. You know, um, the, the intangibles matter as much or more than the talent does, you know, like, you know, oftentimes I'll, you know, in this environment, stuff is always coming in and out. You're, you're exposed to so much information and you'll hear things like, well, Christian Brown, he'll, he'll fit well with the Nuggets or with a team. No, Christian Brown will fit well with any mm, team. Yeah. If mm. I'm running a team that's not winning, I want a guy like Christian Brown right. so we can learn how to win. <laughs> right. You know? right. Um, yeah. So I think that it's a misnomer that like a guy like Christian is only suited for a team like this, I think it's uh, a complete fallacy. What, I was going to ask, what about Christian did you see in the evaluation process that like made you think he'd be as good of a fit on this team that he is? And are you surprised at all that he's been able to play immediately? Like, are you surprised that there wasn't a big learning curve for him, you know, getting in the rotation and playing? Yeah, I mean, I think the thought process was, and we had some other people internally liked him as scouts. Uh, but, like, I, I think me personally um, definitely knew who he was, definitely watched him a good amount. We were at a game that he had against St. John's. We had 30. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't think we talked about that game that much afterwards, but we'd always see him make plays and do stuff. And, like, you know, I always see him like we see him now going down the middle of the floor and transition, making some in, in block or dunk or whatever. That is something he you always know? makes plays. You know, yeah, like, and he's I'll always be like, oh, man, that was a happen. good play, but like, what is he or whatever. So then the combine comes and I watch him and I watch particularly how he guards and how he moves. I'm like, hold on, wait. He's like a six, seven, two guard. Right. Like, right. And then my whole perspective changed uh, what I thought about him, you mm. know, so. Even with us, we made such a big deal about his negative wingspan or even wingspan or whatever. But then when you see a guy in person, you're like, well, he's 6'7". He's huge. So negative wingspan yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I've always, and I'm giving away state secrets here, but, <laughs> you know, like it was a big topic of conversation. I felt like I thought about this, fleshed out, even wrote it down a number of years ago. But length is a catch-all. It's a combination of height, weight, strength, right. explosion, and when you're six seven two ten and you have a forty inch vertical, yeah, and you're strong, like it doesn't matter if you have a six seven wingspan if you're a shooting guard, right, uh, right, right. Know? I remember yeah, like, in summer league you spoke often about and to Peyton Watson and about his growth yeah, and, and track. Yeah. Do you have those kind of conversations with Christian, especially because he's kind of more, 
I guess now in the rotation? Do you just sort of let him do his thing, or are you guys in in communication about what you're looking Man, for? I, I think Christian's kind of like on autopilot. I like to tell him every now and then he did a nice job, but like Christian's, he's a very serious guy. He comes in, he does his job, and I think he's built a rapport with you know the front bench coaches and, and coaches like Ogie Stojakovic, mm. and I think him and Mike Pember they have a good relationship. But I think he has a, enough people contributing on a day to day basis and his growth that like I don't necessarily need to you know, uh, chime in every day. Whereas sure. Peyton, I've started to do less and less of that now because he's up with us. Again, he's getting coached more by our coaches. He's not in the G League anymore. When he was in the G League, I felt that was more necessary. Right, mm. to reach out. Gotcha. Um, just so let's go to Peyton Watson here real quick. 3.3 points per game in college. I think the lowest scoring first round draft pick to ever come out of NCAA. It's kind of a ballsy pick. What, what made you so confident about him? I don't think it's that ballsy. <laughs> well, I mean, on our side of the Like when you zoom out, yeah. when you zoom out, you have a 6'8", McDonald's All-American, right. that's from Southern California, the best player in Southern California, went to UCLA, that didn't play ahead of Jules Bernard, Johnny Juzang, and Jaime Jaquez, I hope I got his name right. Like, and plays for a tough coach that doesn't traditionally play young players. Okay. Like not that embarrassing when you when you look at it in the abstract. First right. of all, yeah, secondly, we, we know se- nothing. No, we no, don't second, know. Anything. Secondly, when I watched him during the season in Vegas, I had a positive scout report. But he played at Colorado. He didn't do anything. I pretty much I think I wrote like, man, I love the kid, but he hasn't done much to support drafting him. And then we go to combine, and between him and some other guys that got drafted or other teams, I don't want to say their names because I don't want to get fined. <laughs> but like single figures, they didn't do a lot. And um, I'm like, why are we interviewing these kids? They should have went back. But then I watch his pro day, and I start watching tape from UCLA, and I'm like, all right, I need to get off my moral high horse. Right. <laughs> we're never going to be able to get a guy like this where we're, we're going to be picking at. Yeah. You know, his defense stood out to me on tape. Watching at UCLA, he had the same blocks. He had the same pursuit and uh, uh, pressure the ball in the perimeter. And uh, he did the same thing in our workout. And we had a great dinner in, in Cherry Creek North where I got to see his mind, and I played with Andre Godala before, and I'm like, his, his basketball recall and what he knew about the game was really impressive to me. Now, wow. the connection, like he can tell you, and I think he's getting better at this, but he can tell you how to guard, I don't know, for the sake of argument, Luka Doncic. He can give you a better scouting report than maybe any player on our team. Now, connect to that and applying it to the game, sometimes it still gets lost in translation. Right. You know, but I think as he gets older and more mature, we'll start to see more of his natural basketball acumen. So uh, having a guy with that kind of IQ and athleticism and tools that like to play defense, like it was a it was an easy easy pick. I want to trade up. <laughs> <laughs> the guys in the room are going to murder me for trading up. <laughs> Can Iguodala be a comp for him? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah a lot of those guys. Like I, I think just. Sky's the limit. Peyton Watson's going to be his own player, right? Sure, but like sure. he can, he can pass. He can, he's probably a better scorer. At the, the same time, I think Andre had a better understanding of who, who he was, mm. like because he wasn't a great jump shooter. He wasn't a great one-on-one scorer. Peyton can do so many different things. I think like uh, vacillating between those different things is uh, makes him amorphous uh, right. game sometimes. But like when when we have the talent around him and he knows he needs to do certain. I think he said it recently. He does whatever we need to do to win, right? right. You know, so uh, when you say recall, what do you mean? Like he can recall different specific plays and all the details that were relevant. Even players, and I mean, a lot of these guys, they just look at their phones and they know modern players. They might not even know like the fifth guy on a right on, right. A, on a, like a playoff team right now. He knows. He could tell you who Randy Brown is and where right. he played at. Like, you know, he could tell you. He can bring up basketball names and who they played for from the last 30 years. He could tell you what their game was and what series they impacted and what game yeah. that was. And I think like when somebody does that, they, they, they like, they're not just casually participating in basketball. You right. know? They're more invested, right? And emotionally too, and, and, I, not just mentally, but yeah. I imagine it means he cares Yeah, because he put the time in another. The two best guys, you, you know, you guys had the NIL deal with, Colorado's state's own, uh, right. David Roddy was, those two guys were the top two guys by far last year in the draft process with that ability to to regurgitate past right. information about NBA basketball huh. and plays and stuff like that. 
Is that part of your, you know, one of your theories again about, you know, these things about these traits? Like, I'm guessing when you go to dinner, some of this is like natural. We're just having dinner. But I imagine some of this is I want to ask about this. I want to ask about this just to get a read on guys. Yeah, we don't have a script. But like, yeah, you want to find out certain things about their life and their basketball background and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you want to you want to see how invested they are in being a good basketball player. Because I think we drafted a guy that that's going to be, you know, for better lack of a better term, a project. Um, he has to have high character and high work ethic, right? right? Yeah. You know, because that's the only way they'll make it. Right. So Peyton spends all year in the G League pretty much comes up these last five, six games. I mean, he, he's been like the number one item that we've been talking about here on the show. Um, what have you just thought of this recent run that he's been on and the kind of the stuff he's flashed? No, credit to the coaching staff and him. Um, I think, you know, Coach Malone showed a lot of faith in playing him a lot lately. And, you know, big, big ups to him for him to that. And everybody knows at this beginning of the season, I was the biggest fan maybe in the league. And, like, he wasn't ready, you know. Mm -hmm. His preseason shot selection wasn't good. He would put himself in, in situations where he turned the ball over. Um, you know, like focus from play to play with Wax and Wayne. And, you know, just physically, like I think in the G League there was a point where, um, you know, I felt like his impact on the game, he was producing every game, and he was showing that he was one of the better players in that league. And made a conscientious decision to bring him back to Denver to have him work with Felipe and put some weight on and, and get stronger and credit to Felipe and, and Peyton. He did it. Yeah. Put on like 10 pounds. All his weightlifting numbers went way up. And, uh, you know, I felt like that was an important part because I did – I want I, – as being a former player, I want guys to be prepared to take advantage of every out. And I believe I used right. that terminology with him and his agent. Like I remember Tayshaun Prince, and he was much more seasoned – coming out of Kentucky, but he didn't play at all for Detroit. And he, you know, they were down 2-0, and I think in a five-game series to, against Orlando. And he starts playing, and he does a fantastic job, and he never turns back. Like, if that one time comes, you have to be prepared for it. So, uh, originally, we had planned for Peyton to play many more G League games, but I, I knew, like, certain plays when he get knocked off balance or, you know, <laughs> he couldn't hold his own that – he, to be able to take advantage of this, this you know, it happened in the regular season for him, but this out, he needed to get stronger. And let, I'm glad he, he listened and bought into the vision, got stronger, and now he's able to able to play the game in a cleaner fashion, you know, um, able to hold his own, and people don't see him as a guy they could just automatically come at, right? Yeah. So I think all those things are very important. Yeah. How, maybe, how, maybe that Tayshaun Prince opportunity in, in the playoffs is coming. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. How different might that process have been for him without a G League affiliate? If this was just he's getting reps, and it was it, did it feel like you guys were more connected to him in communication about the whole process? Yeah, I think I think everybody from from in our organization, Scott Howard ran our G League team this year. I think he did a good job of setting up a a forum for him to d develop, and you know we sent guys down. One of our guys that brought him on with him, and. I think like having that connectivity and it being yours uh, definitely helps. Uh, in another scenario, we would probably just assign them to an affiliate and we would have sent somebody with them. And then we're at the whim of like, oh, well, we're going to send our rookie down. He's not going to play as much. Right. So that definitely is a, a big, big part of uh, have, having him develop and, and this, this quickly. You know? Yeah. Let's take our second break here. On the other side, we'll start talking about some of the other pieces that are new as well as just evaluating the season for the Nuggets and looking ahead to the playoffs. Guys, Backus and Shanker, when you get hurt, give Backus and oh, Shanker a call. Uh, they're here to help Backus and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They've been helping those seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years, and the coolest thing about them is you don't pay them any money until they win your case. So no upfront fees, no fees while they work on your case. You only pay them if they win. Uh, and they've won over $1 billion for clients, and they've got locations and neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Englewood, and Fort Collins. With 30 lawyers on staff, more than 100 staff members, yeah. they should be your go-to. So um, give them a call. Yeah. Bax and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases where you yeah. weren't at fault, car accidents, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help you if you're injured at work. Give them a call, 222-2222. They got the easiest number to remember. Find out if you oh, have a case cool. for free. Bacchus and Shanker wins. Uh, and also, if you need tickets, maybe the Rockies. 
Uh, check out the Game Time app. I'm going tonight, and I got them on Game Time, baby. There you go, right there. Where are you sitting? Oh, I'm sitting uh, lower level. Who are you I'm cheering on for? The first base you're cheering. You're gonna yeah, really? Well, I'm going in all my Rockies DNVR yeah. gear. Okay. Going Aaron and Aaronado diehard. I'm cheering for the Rockies as loud as I can. <laughs> I love it. Great work. That's bro. right. Great work. <laughs> That's right, boss. All I need is you to lie to me. That's all I want. <laughs> I can lie. Lie in the right direction. If you want to sit. Uh, first base at a Rockies game time. Maybe you can sit next to this guy. <laughs> he just gave out where he's sitting. Go bother him. <laughs> uh, download Go hold him to the, the thing he just said. Game he time app. Use the code DNVR. You get $20 off your purchase. Terms do apply. But again, create an account with the game time app. Use the code DNVR. Get $20 off. Don't go messing around with all those other third-party sites. Just use game time. Great. Rockies tickets, Nuggets tickets, Avs tickets, get tickets for the playoff run coming up, concert shows, sporting events, whatever you need. Use the code DNVR. $20 off your tickets from game time. Should take a shot every time Arenado gets a hit tonight. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I he wants be, to get a little. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to be stoked want, yeah. sober for the whole game. <laughs> he wants to get a little fired up. got to talk trash about <laughs> filthy Cardinals fans. Who do you hate in sports, by the way? It doesn't have to be basketball. Do you have a, a team that you grew up just like? That's a great question. Oh, man, who do, who do I hate? Is that you really get to know a person? Yeah. Yeah. Like sports sports hate. hate is the best kind of hate because it's not actually real. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of real for the Lakers. Probably Utah Jazz. <laughs> really? Yeah. Right. I see the Bulls play a lot of times. That's right. Yeah, yeah, true. You get to hold on to that one being yeah, here in Denver, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. I like it. Um, all right. Let's get into some of these other, other ones. First of all, I have to imagine it's hard for us to block out the noise and we're not that famous. And then what we do is much more uh, inconsequential than what you do. DeAndre Jordan was the first person announced in free agency this year. And I think Nuggets fans freaked out. Now, it's played out greatly. I mean, he's been, I think, by all accounts, a great asset. You see him on the bench doing all these things. You know, are you following along with, with that kind of thing? Like, it was like the clock strikes, you know, 2 o'clock or whatever it was. Then it's like first move of the, uh, is DeAndre Jordan. Are you following along at how people respond to different no, things? No, I was in the middle of a field in Sambor, <laughs> Serbia. Wait, where? I was in Serbia. Having oh. dinner with oh, Nicole. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I forgot. Like, like, same time. Let me tell you, people loved it. <laughs> <laughs> people loved it. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I got back later on. I said, wait, oh, this is a big deal. Like, <laughs> I didn't realize. It was like, you know, we had an order, you know, like we, we need to. We need a center, and yeah. like we talked about a lot, but yeah. I guess you know somebody somehow it got out, and you know it's funny how the world works these days. Like yeah. when uh, the information is delivered, it it makes it uh, worse. <laughs> and I, I mean honestly, I don't know what it is, what what it happened in other cities with DeAndre. Like you know, like I was joking with Coach Malone the other day, like man. You know, DeAndre Jordan's the most despicable worst player I've ever seen, man. Like, if they want to see bad, wait till they see Calvin Booth at the end of his career. <laughs> like, he's not that bad, man. He's not that bad of a player, man. Like, uh, like yeah. forget about what he's done in the locker room and everything, which yeah. has been fantastic. But I think, like, you know, we see it easily. He still goes out there and gets rebounds. And yeah. he's, he, does. he still has a presence. Like, everybody knows, like, when you get older, the consecutive actions or maybe changing ends. And, like, in this NBA, it's really fast. And those things stand out sometimes, man. Like, I think I... That's something you can critique, but like I think, all in all, as a player, even like forget about what he's done in the locker room. I think he's well above the line of still being an NBA player. I'll be—I know that's a controversial take, but I'll be get—I'll <laughs> get skewered on on social media tonight. But, <laughs> you know, but like, and now you talk about his impact in the locker room—that's a whole nother deal. Yeah, right. You know, um, I think it's just him and Jeff Green and and Ish Smith and even Bruce Brown, all the vets we still have that have come back. But I think. He's really taken on the role. He's got a, he's got a, a, a assertive personality. He's willing to engage guys and talk to guys, and I think it helps take pressure off of Joker and Jamal because they're more lead by right. examples mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. people. That's interesting. Michael Malone has talked about how much he loves the vets that you guys yeah. have, and I mean, you were on great teams as a as a player. How important is it to have those types of voices when you've got a team in this position trying to win a championship? I don't know, man. Should I just I just wait and have react? But I, honestly, I, I look. I think it's going to be very important. Now, I think this whole concept that every single roster spot has to be op- absolutely optimized by somebody that's going to contribute on the floor is like a little ridiculous. Sure. You know, like we're going to have a third two way, so we're going to have eighteen guys. Right. And uh, I think if a lot of times the guys that got the most upside are younger guys. So if you wanted to try to optimize every single roster spot, you're probably starting to get a little 
heavy on like inexperience. And I think an important part of my philosophy, you have to watch somebody do it that you're trying to take their role eventually. You're going, mm. you're going to plant their role. And like maybe worst case, you don't get to see them do it, but they can tell you how they did it. And they're there every day on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like, and so I definitely think dedicating a roster spot or two to making sure that, you know, we have guys that, that are dedicated to like helping our young guys learn how to be pros, how to work, how to win, like how to deal with adversity. Like I think that the 15th roster spot probably provides more value in that sense than it does from a playing, playing standpoint. Right. I could see this that. This is yeah. what's so interesting about that concept, though, is because when you build a roster, you want to check all boxes. We need rebounding. We need ball handling. We need shooting. We need we know all those things. But then you're talking about situational, like we need a veteran, we need a young guy with energy who's going to bring it every night, we need these different types. But I feel like there's even a third one, which is personality. And I just wonder, do you put any thought into, I, I, this is stuck in my mind since Richard Jeff was, Jefferson was here, where he said it was the most boring locker room he'd ever been a part of, there's just no personality to it. Is there such a thing as a personality deficiency on a team where it's like, hey, man, we got to get some guys that are just loud in here? Well, I think diversity of personality. I think yeah. everybody has a yeah. personality, but yeah. like... You know, having different kind, having guys that are charismatic and you got the guys that are really focused that work, does his job and doesn't worry about too much externally. I think having to mix everything, I think in that sense, like, yeah, DeAndre is that guy in this locker room where he's definitely on the one end of the spectrum as far as being outspoken and being willing to engage guys and get guys together and go out. Um, you know, a lot of these guys that have won championships and we have one on our team in KCP, you know, they believe that, like, the guys, they eat together, win together, you know. Yeah. So um, I think they've managed and policed themselves in a fashion where they feel like they're they're getting together a good amount and they're building that camaraderie up the court to where if somebody takes three bad shots in a row or doesn't play right. defense, like, maybe you're frustrated, but you're not as frustrated and you're willing to move past it. I think that's mm -hmm. what that's about. It's so true, man. Like, in all walks of life, if you have, you can have people that really vibe together, but if you have all passive-aggressive or this or that, right. when something happens, then you have, you need a different type that you didn't need normally, but you need them in this specific circumstance. Yeah. I think it's true of, you know, basketball teams as well. Just real quickly, Bruce and KCP, what, what made you target them? What did you see in them? Yeah, I think we had conversations back in the season when Tim was here about KCP and, uh, we were trying to work on a deal, and we, somebody we, you know, always a focus for us because we felt like his defense and three-point shooting would be impactful. And uh, Bruce Brown, you know, we just honestly we did not think he was going to be uh, available in a taxpayer mid-level. Uh, we did bring him up, and I started to talk to Ty Sullivan, his agent at the time, uh, more and more as we got closer. And you know, down to a few names, and uh, I credit to Tommy Balchettis. He was really a big Bruce fan, and. Really, really thought he was a guy that we should add. And then coach, you know, he started to, we started to bring him names and he, he watched him some and he, he really liked him. And, you know, I, I was like, uh, yeah, it made sense. And I, it was right along the lines of whatever we were trying to do. And I think uh, his game has been a pleasant surprise in a lot of different ways. I, I didn't know he was as, so offensively inclined uh, mm -hmm. with the ball. Um, I, I saw him as a guard. I knew he could do some of the Wildcat stuff in Brooklyn, but we're trying to focus on increasing our positional size whenever we can. And he's played a lot of minutes at the three just because circumstance, injuries, or whatever. Um, I like it a lot more when he's in the backcourt. And I think probably it'll add to his free agent value, which I think will be good for him to have played these guard minutes. But he is uh, a good creator for himself and others in that mid pick and roll situation. He gets to the rim quick. You know? I think it's been a little bit of a surprise to us. He thinks of himself as a guard too. Like he tells oh, he very, loves it. Yeah, he much yeah. prefers, I think, this situation from the Brooklyn one. Was that something you guys talked at all about? Like his potential role in Denver? Yeah, definitely talked to him. Uh, I mean, talked to him and his agency about definitely saw him more as a guard. And I mean, his his story is interesting. You know, he was at Miami and he played he played on the ball. He played the point guard with Lonnie Walker. Um, and he had an injury. And I think that's why Doc dropped to the second round. But early mm. in the season, because Donovan Mitchell just had that crazy year, I think he was getting some like Donovan Mitchell comps, at least internally from our scouting group. And uh, just kind of lost some momentum because of the injury and fell into the second round. And Detroit picked him, and he developed into an NBA player. But, yeah, he's 
They usually these guys start, they're usually noticed at some point. It's just fascinating how I, we talked to Bruce about when I first came in town, like how the injury affected his draft status and how he looked at that. And then, you know, um, how different teams have viewed him to this point. I think he's given a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. Yeah, right. you've you've noticed that whenever you've <laughs> talked to him. He's, he's quick to bring it up. Guys, take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglass company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair that you've worn. They're durable frames, extremely clear optics, great for outdoor adventures. This is a deal exclusive for DNVR listeners. Use the code DNVR at ShadyRays.com. Get 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Shady Rays rated five stars by over 250 thousand people again go to shadyrays.com use the code dnvr get 50 percent off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses also at illegal pete's this episode of the dnvr nuggets podcast brought to you by illegal pete's grad season is coming up which means grad parties if you're hosting a grad party if you're going to a grad party Bring some illegal pizza or cater with illegal pizza. Look, if you go to a grad party and they've got illegal pizza there, you will not complain about the food. Same goes if you're hosting that grad party. So go to catering.illegalpeats.com, catering.illegalpeats.com. Make it a grad party to remember. Illegal pizza, your go-to spot for burritos, buddies, and beer, and catering as well. Catering.illegalpeats.com. Let me let's ask about the season real quick. How do you evaluate the season? Like, what were some of the wins that you feel the team got this year, and how do you grade it? Well, you got to take a 30,000-foot view of it. I think, all in all, it was an outstanding season, considering we had Mike and Jamal coming back from injury. We had all these free agent additions, all these guys that were young guys from the draft. Um, we had to deal with some adversity with the whole MVP yeah. dialogue and discourse nationally, and we felt like, you know, I think in the middle of the season around All-Star break, we hit a little bit of a lull because, you know, the MVP dialogue going around Joker and some of it just took a nasty turn. And I think also guys felt kind of disrespected that we didn't get any kind of, like, recognition from All-Star weekend. You know, you know, Aaron sacrificed, played his role, was like when you look at these guys that right. have to make a sacrifice, he was the guy. He was a top – five guy in high school. He was a one and done. He was a 17 year old playing for Orlando. He's played every role. He bought into his role here. Um, he did everything that was asked of him and was efficient. Like, you know, and he didn't, he didn't make the game. I think, uh, you know, we, it's a team game. It's about us, but like every now and then those, I think those things can provide a boost for the rest of the season. Yeah. When we didn't get that boost, I think, you know, look, the first year, a lot of us are, are used to being in this position. I think it like, it, it you know, took the air out of our wheels a little bit, so to speak. You know? mm -hmm. So how much did, I mean, was it discussed a lot? Or was it just no, a thing you I all think, felt? I think it was just no. I mean, you, I try to push through it. His agents, I, the players are very classy about it. You never hear them say, like, oh, can you help me get this or that? But, I mean, you know, a lot of times we're proactive as an organization because we want the guys to have a good experience there. And right. I'll reach out to Calvin Andrews or Mike George and, hey, say, look, we're going to try to do what we can to help these guys, you know. Um, so I think in that sense, um, that's – that's what, how I have knowledge of it. And in the Joker situation, you just can't – nobody could avoid it. It was just so right. loud and, like, everywhere he turned. So I haven't talked to Joker personally, how he dealt with it or handled it. Um, you know, I, can Im I can't imagine it didn't have any impact at all. Um, you know, we're all human, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's just my, my view yeah. of it. I mean, that's one of the questions is, I mean, this season, as good as it has been, now comes the point where it just feels like there's a lot of pressure on the team. I don't know if I'm just projecting that because I feel pressure. You know, we you know, feel be, pressure. We feel. <laughs> I'll we, say that. I mean, yeah, we feel a, a certain amount of pressure of hey, we've been talking about this for several years, hyping it up, like we see a thing coming, and now it's here. You know, what is that pressure like on the other side for you guys? I mean, do you feel like there's pressure and and you guys are feeling it? I don't have to make a jump shot. <laughs> no pressure on me at all, man. Like, uh, you know, I know, I know, as as the people down the floor, coach and players. You're in the game. You have to make the right calls as a coach. You have to, like, uh, drop the right play. So, in that sense, there's pressure in the players, pressure to perform. And, I, you know, I just think, I mean, hey, there should be some healthy pressure. Pressure is not all bad, right? Right. You know, there should be 
pressure's coming because we've done some stuff that's pretty cool and we have a really talented team and we should, uh, in essence, like take advantage of this opportunity. That's where the pressure comes from, from our end. It's like pressure to know that these opportunities don't arise every year. And, you know, like we have one right now, we're relatively healthy and uh, we're, we're together and we have the talent to do so. So um, we have to go handle business and, you know, I think we will. And I, I think the fact that like what alleviates the pressure and that's probably uh, the thing that we maybe could have taken control of a little bit more if we had played better. But like in the first year, Golden State won it. They won 28 straight regular season games, right? And they blew through the playoffs pretty easily. But that when you win 28 straight games, there's a certain confidence that comes along with that. Right. Um, is there a way? I think it started happening at the end of the season when some of our young guys started to provide energy. And um, I think, you know, hopefully going into the playoffs, whoever we match up in the first round, we can we can start off with a good thrust and, like, you know, come out on the right side of it and maybe maybe by a good margin, hopefully, right? Right. Maybe, that, maybe a scenario like that, you know, helps alleviate some of our pressure and say, all right, we who we are, you guys should have some some element of fear playing. Yeah. So I, I think like, I think you know from reading the between the lines what's out there. I don't think a lot of teams really fear fear us playing us. And I think uh, honestly we feel some kind of way about it. You yeah. know? Um I, I know I would if right. I was a player, right? So, but on the other side of it, we didn't play great the last month of the season, so right. we kind of deserve it. You yeah. Know? So what do we do about that? How do we reconcile right. that as we move forward in the coming weeks? Oh, man, I'm ready to run through a wall. <laughs> I was going to say, to me, that seems more like the anthem of like, hey, this team is the one seed. And when people go out and say that, it's there's a certain level of disrespect to it that I think you should feel, you know, you being a player or whoever should should feel that. Um, do you have a personal expectation for what, what should happen this year? Um, I think I'm a, I'm a process guy, man. I feel like if we go about the right way, and like if we lose to the we believe Warriors in the first round, right? And, but we did everything right, so be it. And conversely, if we make the finals, but like we don't approach the finals the right way, guys right. aren't focused, they don't take it to win. I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be pissed. Yeah. So like, I think it's more about the approach and how you do it, and how, and more than the result. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so like, I expect us to approach it the right way. I expect us to have the right intensity level, the right focus the right uh, camaraderie as a team. Um, that's what I'll be looking for. Are, what are nice. some of the basketball, you know, keys or, or, or what would you say with the team? Like it's, hey, they got to defend or they got to do this thing. Like what do you feel are some of the big indicators? I mean, everybody knows and, and, and Jamal knows that like he's a big key to our team and yeah. him playing at – we've come to – in Denver in this market, particularly in our team, expect him to play like a top 15 player in the league when the playoffs come. And you know, and whatever that looks like, it's more than the, it's more than the night-to-night production or the crazy games he's having in the bubble. But like the consistent aggression, the consistent uh, focus and competitive spirit that, like, I believe is one of the best in the league when he's at, at, at his A game. That's yeah. that's what I want to see every game from him, and I think that'll that'll manifest itself into some pretty big. A number of games and some some impact on, impact on winning but like uh you know I think so he's a he's a, a very important part of the team and obviously Joker's a very important part of the team too and you know um him doing what he does and and taking his game up another level is crazy every year you don't think the guy can play at any higher level anymore <laughs> and then the next segment comes on and he plays better so right I, I don't I guess we come to expect it. Should we expect it? I'm not sure. I, know. I don't know if it's fair. It's funny. <laughs> you know? At the beginning of this year, we were like, what does he have to do to be in the MVP conversation? And we were like, average a triple-double, have the most efficient season of his career, and be number one in the West. Yeah. And That's there you go. Did. So now we have to think, what does he have to do next year? I know. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it honestly is. But at the same time, I'm with you. Like When I started to project, like, okay, that's regular season. Now, playoff, you're like, hold on, playoff? These numbers are already absurd. Like, okay, yeah. But, yeah. but at the same time, Heavy is the head that wears the crown, and and the two-time MVP. I, like you said, there's a healthy pressure sometimes of, uh, of now it's now is the time. Um, Cal, thanks for spending this time with us, oh, man. No this was That's insightful. Awesome. You guys got any other questions here? I actually have one more for you. You strike me as a guy, as a fella that doesn't get too high or too low emotionally throughout yeah. the season. 
with the playoffs coming up, are you excited? Do you feel like competitive juices personally? Right now, sitting here in this chair, no. Okay. But well, I, that's I, I'll, I'll give you an antidote. <laughs> I'll give you an antidote. First game of the bubble, we're playing, and there's no fans, and you're like, this is going to be the playoffs? Mm. By the time we got to game seven, you could cut the tension in the place <laughs> of the night. And my, number, and my stomach was in knots, and everybody right. stomach, whether you were on Utah's side or our side, yeah. was sitting on the edge of their seat. So I think the pressure of the game brings that out, you yeah. know, when, as, as you get closer to it. And I think the closer we get to game day and know who we're playing, tip off, we'll be excited. I got a theory for you. Your theories, guys, I want to give a theory to you. The, there was two fights on the bench in the game 82. But we saw one on the Clippers. We saw one over here. My theory is the regular season doesn't carry. So you talk about tension. The regular season just doesn't carry that much tension. A game yeah. here, a game there. And I almost like feel like you swung from 81 games of no tension to do or die for a couple of these teams. And you saw. Yeah. Players were almost not ready for it. It's like, yeah. oh, my God. I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. I think it should make some for, for some fun games this evening. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait for it. Cal, thank you so much. Uh, guys, general manager of the Denver Nuggets. There he is. Everybody, that deserves your like. Throw that like for us on the way out. And again, we're going to have great stuff for you all week. Tomorrow, the Denver Nuggets are going to practice. So we're going to have our first practice ramping up the playoffs. We'll be reporting on that. Brand new show at 2 o'clock, everybody. We'll see you then.